0: Hello everyone and welcome to Much Better People. I am your host Sonya and this is a podcast for those transitional times in life which may be thoroughly kicking your ass. In each episode I speak to a guest about their experience of turning 30 and we discuss their loves and losses in their 20s and the lessons that they've learnt and will bring into their 30s to hopefully make things that bit easier to navigate. Now, if you haven't listened to the podcast trailer, you might be a little bit confused about the name. Essentially, I went through a number of very difficult life transitions in my late twenties, which I'll explore further in my own episode. But one of these was an especially rough breakup. And whilst I was collecting the last of my things from my ex's flat, he looked me dead in the eyes as I was sniffling and snotty and told me that worse things have happened to much better people. Um, And it was the much that really got me. And I don't imagine he intended it to be mean. So I'm not going to get the pitchforks out just yet. But it was very funny and very clueless. To not use it as inspiration for the podcast name would have been a loss. So my guests will also be sharing their mostly hilarious, but sometimes tragic, much better people moments with us as well. I really can't wait to introduce my guest today, who is a friend Um, and her mere presence at the age of 17 was enough to scare me off joining our colleges debate society due to her pure devastating wits and after smashing her degree in english literature Liz has been dominating as a researcher and climbed her way to the ranks of associate director in less than 10 years in a field which at senior level is pretty male dominated so i have the pleasure today of picking her big brains about her loves and losses in her 20s and i can't wait to hear the lessons that she has for us um, and her Much Better People moment, which we will get into in just a moment. Just a quick warning, we do discuss topics such as grief, health, anxiety, and fertility for those of you who may be sensitive to these topics. So, please welcome painfully smart, very kind, and annoyingly funny and witty, <laughs> Alicia, um, who I'll also be referring to as Liss through the episode too. So, hello Liz.
1: Hello. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for that very, very nice introduction. Um, apart from the bit where you just basically said I was terrifying and that's why you didn't join <laughs> the debate team. But probably true of me as a teenager. And I wish some more of the uh, the white men on the uh, debate team had taken that, no, that lesson yeah. as well, because they all looked at me and went, we want to fight you. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, some some good times I had on that, that debate team. Uh, the less said about that, the better, I think. I think and- so. I mean, I remember going
0: to the introductory kind of session and I just, like, heard you say something. <laughs> i like, it to do with it not even like a topic just about debating and I was like oh god I'm so scared I'm leaving I'm leaving I can't handle this
1: oh my god it's fine that was when I was just in my very obnoxious phase of like I think I used to take sides on the debate team that I didn't necessarily agree with like (gasps) just just to annoy people you were the devil's advocate I was the devil's advocate I was like uh not a question but more of a comment really yeah I was the worst (laughs) debate me was the worst version of me
0: yeah well kind of worked out for me i guess i'm not sure what i would have had to say to be honest kind of was (laughs) in my own little world most of the time oh i think you'd have been (laughs) great thank you so you have a much better people moment for us and i can't wait for you to share it can you give us a little bit of context around
1: what was sort of said um which i would say is the much better people i absolutely can so a little bit of context for the story first so my much better people moment like yours was also said in the midst of a devastating breakup, because, you know, people Mm -hmm. really love to kick people when they're down. Mm -hmm. I had been in a relationship for four years that was coming to an end for various different reasons that we will probably explore. But I had just returned from a trip traveling, was deciding on the future of this relationship. In the midst of that, I had found out that my mum had a potentially life-threatening illness. She had cancer. I hope she won't mind me saying. Pretty scary, pretty terrifying. Obviously made me think about my future decisions and and where I wanted to live as well because at the time I was living in London my parents were up north had always had the kind of vision to come back and be closer to them etc and you know that there's nothing to make you want to be close to your mum like a cancer diagnosis horrendously in the midst of all that unfortunately my ex-partner's dad was also diagnosed with a a life-limiting and life-threatening illness, which was obviously a pretty Gosh. horrendous time for the both of us. Wasn't yeah. wasn't a really nice time to think about, you know, what do we do next? And why do we want to live? And can we even be together? And, you know, I really I knew I wanted to be up north to be near my family. His family were all down south. It was a very challenging time. But uh yeah, the the way he dealt with it was perhaps not the best. And I, I completely understand he was in the midst of kind of a you know grieving and a processing um of his own. But in an exchange about, you know, what decisions were going to be made and what we were going to do i received a text message that said well can you at least ask your mum how long she has left because i know that i have a certain number of years left with my dad uh, oh my gosh which yeah on the scale of hilarious to tragic i liked that you put that framework on the anecdotes i would say it is at the time was right up there yeah. with tragic now looking back i can laugh about it because just what on earth would possess someone to say that is absolutely beyond me mm-hmm. um but yeah it was uh it was pretty interesting, and it it really did uh, determine the future of that relationship, which, in a short turn of events, did in fact end quite quite soon afterwards. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, we we decided that it probably wasn't the best time for either of us to be you know making major moves across the country, pursuing the future of the relationship. But also, I just realised that someone who would you know hit me with that kind of ultimatum, use you know their own horrible horrible situation, but would use it in that kind of context, was not someone that I wanted to pursue a future with. And thankfully we're both very happy in new relationships now. So it all worked out. Of course. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that with us. Cause obviously
0: that's very personal and you know, it was a clearly a very, very stressful time for you and your family. And what he said is just like, what on earth? What? Just why? yeah
1: I don't know why you would type that message and think, yep, yeah, that's the thing to say right now.
0: Or-? Yeah. Just somebody that was just so being so selfish, I suppose, and you've been really kind in the sense that you've kind of put context onto that. So, you know, yeah. he was also going through a lot.
1: Um, but you didn't say that to him. So I did not know. I, I didn't think it would have been appropriate. To no, be honest.
0: no. When we're thinking about losses in this uh, podcast, I guess a lot of it is to kind of do with the things that we've then taken. So we'll talk about losses and your loves and then your kind of lessons at, at the end, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing that struck me for you was that you had lost, genuinely as in you were grieving and you'd physically lost three family members in quite a short amount of time. Are you able to just tell us a little bit more about
1: that? Um, yeah, absolutely. So again, much like the anecdote that I just told, this is now a situation that I can kind of look back on and, you know, be my usual sarcastic self about okay. it. You know, I have my little notes here about what I'm going to talk about and I have just written, oh, when everyone died. Because <laughs> there was unfortunately a period of my di- my life when everyone died. Mm. So I was 2015, so I'd been 23, and my uncle passed away, who is my mum's older brother. My granddad on that side of the family had passed away before I was born, so my uncle had kind of always fit in the role of, you know, um, kind of almost like a granddad to me then quite shortly after that so that would have been in 2015 in 2016 my grandma again on the mum's side of the family passed away after quite a long battle with vascular dementia so we'd seen her go through that which was pretty grim um you know she was an absolute force to be reckoned with we Mm -hmm. were talking pre-recording about just how hilarious she is and so to see her go through that was really really rough and i was going through that And in 2017, the universe was like, we're not quite done with you. And I lost my paternal granddad quite suddenly as well. And it was interesting that I'd had, you know, I lost my uncle very suddenly. And then I saw my grandma go through an illness and, you know, almost with her, it, it was at that point where it was a relief. And then I lost my granddad very suddenly again. And I was just going through these weird, like, periods of grief of like being prepared for it and then being totally blindsided by it. And that actually was what inspired my decision to go traveling as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I understand as well when your uncle um, passed away, you said obviously it was quite sudden, you know, unexpected. And at the time when thinking about this ex partner that you've already mentioned, um, and we were chatting about the podcast, you told me something and I just thought I'm a terrible person for laughing at it. (laughs) But I think if you just, if you can't laugh, like what would you do? Your uncle, as you told me died suddenly, but it was in his sleep, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. Okay. And obviously at an age that was just very unexpected and it was, you know, it had that extra kind of layer of um, tragedy around it as well and shock. Can you tell me what your ex said at the time when you were talking about, I guess, maybe finding some comfort in the fact that your uncle was asleep?
1: Yeah, Um, so for additional context, my uncle passed away in Hong Kong. On a rugby tour with his mates, he was just living his best life, seeing the Rugby Sevens in Hong Kong, and he went to sleep and he didn't wake up. And I was, you know, pontificating on this and thinking, that that's a wicked way to go out. He was in Hong Kong, place that he loved, he was enjoying the rugby, he was with the lads, he was in his sleep, There's there's no better way to go, you know, he didn't suffer previous partner who was mentioned at the top of the podcast then then proffered the suggestion of well do we actually know when people die in the sleep that it's like pain free and that you know it actually is the best way to go because you know what if they wake up screaming in the night and clutching the chest and in pain the woman was too stunned to speak i how am i supposed to respond to that?
0: I was leaving a little silence there just for listeners to just grasp that. So you basically had, you know, kind of dug deep in a way and just thought actually there's something, there's some form of comfort or relief I can take from yeah. the fact that my uncle was, you know, it was in his sleep. There wasn't any other kind of additional suffering. And he went out, when I say it, men honestly say the most, but Achieve the least, do the least, achieve the least. He decided to then just ruin that for you and be like, well, we don't actually know because I guess people die in their sleep. People, you know, others aren't around them to to confirm or deny if they've suffered or not.
1: (laughs) The previous comment, again, that was told at the top of the podcast, you know, I've had time to ruminate on that and thought he was going through it. He was having a tough time. This, I just think, for why? What what would ever possess someone to say that? And I, yeah. Stunning, And that was actually, if that was 2015, that wasn't that long into our relationship. So we did in fact stay in a relationship with this person for another three years, which uh, says all, all we need Alicia. to know about, about my decision-making. <laughs> Yeah, that should have been my out. And then maybe I could have saved myself the, uh, the story I told at the start, but then we won't be able to sit here and have a laugh about exactly, it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. It's all for the content, yeah. plot development. That's what I was thinking. When I got into the
0: relationship, I thought, do you know what? In about seven years, I'm going to start a podcast. And this <laughs> can be dead funny on a podcast, actually. It's going to be really good content. Okay, so yeah, in terms of thinking about loss, I guess that loss or those losses for you are quite what we think about. When we're um, considering stereotypical or quite straightforward losses, because obviously yeah. it's a loss of a person. Mm-hmm. But I guess there was an additional layer for you because both of your parents, you'd said, had become essentially orphans yep. in a short space of time. And you know, when when you were telling me about that initially, I was kind of thinking personally because I'm (laughs) self-obsessed I might be wondering about my own mortality and that kind of thing but actually what was interesting for you is because you're much more sensible than me is that you then were kind of forced I suppose in a way to think about yourself being in that position at some point you know Mm -hmm. we all are going to be but when your mum was diagnosed with cancer that clearly you know a forced you I suppose to not grow up because you are very mature anyway, but you were kind of forced to just accept that she had this diagnosis and then think potentially about you maybe being in a position where you don't have your parents. And being in your kind of, were you in your tw- mid-twenties?
1: How old were you? Yes, 2017, I would have been about yeah.
0: 25. Yeah, that's not something that most people are kind of confronted with. In terms of thinking about loss, is there anything within that that you took in that situation and Um, learned from
1: i'd love to say there was something really sage in the lesson that i learned from initially finding out about my mum's illness but honestly at that point i just thought the universe was taking the piss out of me i was like are you having a laugh like have i not have not been through enough and Mm. i think we'll, we'll cover this later but um you spoke about how you know you spoke about how you were quite you might respond to that in quite a self Or oh, might be way. self-obsessed about it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and actually I had, because I developed really bad health anxiety mm. off the back of this experience about my own health and hilariously, for some reason, because none of the people I lost had passed away from cancer, I became absolutely fixated on the idea that I had cancer. I was, it was an unhinged period of my life where I would just hang out in A&E for, for fun, basically. shouldn't laugh was, at that. <laughs> oh my God, I laugh at it now. Like I tell stories about me being like, a bit of backache so I decided that I had you know stage four breast cancer that had metastasized with no other evidence yeah. to that point so okay. and that for me at the time was really it was you know quite ironic really that the universe it was almost like the universe was like good god girl get a grip mm. you haven't got any of these problems but here's someone who has and I was like really really is, is this how I need to learn this lesson <laughs> must we simply <laughs> um but yeah I think you know it, it it was a lot to go through in a short period of time and having to go from, you know, actual loss to what to me at the time was the prospect of loss um, of a parent, you know, and thankfully took all of the word. My mum is now fine. She is in remission. Mm. We are you know far removed from that. I think there's nothing to really put perspective on how lucky you are to have the family that you have like losing quite a few of them and mm-hmm. also the potential of you of losing the, the person that is closest to you you know the, there's no one quite like a mum so yeah. I think that was a lesson that I learned there was definitely I felt very fortunate despite having gone through quite a few rough times I'd seen my own parents as well kind of support each other through that process and that experience yeah yeah so that's obviously very important to see that relationship as
0: well between the two of them yeah. and I suppose for you you do have a chronic health problem mm-hmm. as well and it's interesting because I've at this point recorded one other podcast episode and we talked about chronic pain and kind yeah. of chronic health problems in that as well so um can you tell me a little bit more about your diagnosis of mm-hmm. endometriosis because I think that's something that's relatively common in some ways and is experienced
1: by lots of women yeah no absolutely so again as much as the i felt the universe was basically taking the piss out of me because i'd had this you know a lot of loss and then i developed this fear as i said specifically of cancer and then i'd had someone close to me experience that i did actually have behind all the health anxiety an undiagnosed health condition Mm -hmm. um for people that don't know endometriosis is a gynecological condition and it's actually one of the, I'm not sure exactly what the statistic is. That's really bad. We're recording an Endometri- endometriosis awareness month and I don't have oh, my yeah. stats. We are <laughs> festive. But yeah, it's it's a condition that quite regularly goes undiagnosed because essentially it is a condition that is experienced by people who have uteruses. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know traditionally those people don't have their pain taken seriously in the medical profession, not always. Um, and yeah. I actually went through, I think a end-to-end, probably a 10-year process of trying to get diagnosed. Yeah. So I had always, you know, had really bad periods and always had trouble with that. And from being about 14, you know, I was the person that would like pass out when I was on my period and just be in immense amounts of pain. When I was at uni, it got really bad. Then as I got into my 20s, you know, in and amongst the unhinged A&E visits, I was having genuine A&E visits because I was just in so much pain. I was losing a lot of blood. I was really struggling. And then I was also going through this process of doctors just dismissing it and kind of saying, you know, it's normal to have bad periods. Um, you know, this is, this is just what happens to women. Um, you know, obviously very gendered language used in that context. Um, so it it was, yeah, it was a lot to process at the time. And then also, you know, it, it is a, it's a fertility condition, which around that time in my life was not necessarily something that I had been thinking about, you know? Yeah. I wasn't on that trajectory to have kids by 25. So it was, it was interesting to kind of, I guess, have to start thinking about, oh, actually, what, what does this mean for that part of my future? And I don't think I even like kids. Do I want to have my own? And, you know, being the kind of person that I am, I'm very stubborn. So the minute that the idea that I could have kids was taken away from me, I was like, they're not that bad, are they? <laughs> I want some of them shit what do I do so yeah I suppose that that loss of my fertility was quite interesting yeah Uh, interesting that's absolutely the wrong word but uh
0: it is it is in a way because I think the part for me that is interesting is the age you're at so I remember you being around 21 was it something mm -hmm. like that 2021 and there was this kind of position where you just celebrated your 21st birthday yeah but then you had, you had to go to an appointment the next day, you know, about your endometriosis. And I think that was maybe either the first time or one of the first times fertility had been kind of, had been really sort of brought up in a lot of depth with you. And I remember that that really stuck out in my mind um, at the time because I was like, wow, I, this is not something I'd want to think about at all. I wouldn't even know where to begin. And so, you know, at that point it was something that you had to really consider. And like you said, you You don't think at 21, I mean, most people don't, there are some weirdos. Yeah, you are weirdos out there who at 21 (laughs) are like, we're going to have loads of kids Um, about that at all. So it's almost like losing something potentially that you didn't really have Mm. in the first place. So, you know, around that, um, it's difficult. And I think you were in a relationship at that time, were you, or...
1: I yeah. was, yeah. I was in another terrible relationship because <laughs> uh, that was, was a habit that I thankfully have grown out of yeah. that I had in my early twenties. But yeah, I, I know the example that you're speaking about mm. when I'd had that scan the day after my 21st birthday, I was so hungover when I went for that scan that there wasn't enough water in my body for them to to do the scan that they actually oh wanted to do. So I had to have loads of internal stuff. I've got like, fake hand stains where like I've left half of it on my housemate's bed because I've slept in her bed whilst you and Lauren are downstairs in mine. Yeah. One or both of you had been sick in a plant pot. Like that's the situation that I've left at home. It <laughs> wasn't me. I'm just putting that out there. So. <laughs> <laughs> and we're just going to uh, expose Lauren on the podcast. Yeah. She was the one that was sick in a pod- in a plant pot. Yeah. So there I am, you know, fake hand stains, absolutely hanging out my ass. And they're like, we think you might have this condition. It's a fertility condition you know, are you in a relationship? Are you, are you on contraception? Are you thinking about these things? And I was just like, all I'm thinking about right now is getting home and having some potato smileys and finishing the rest of that Pepsi Max. Like (laughs) this isn't a discussion that I want to have right now. And then, yeah, I came home too. And you guys were there and partner at the time was there. And I know that story has always been told back to me from the perspective of just how useless the partner was in that situation because as I said got a habit of finding them so yeah that was interesting as well to have I guess like a not particularly supportive partner yeah yeah and I think I guess you can understand that that age
0: people are still everyone has immaturity to them but it's hard I guess as well you know you can have basic empathy that's always good and i think everybody should have that um but i feel like when it comes to a condition like this and concepts around fertility and you know the womb and and kind of problems with that i feel like especially young men they just have no kind of concept of the added complication to that especially when it's so linked to your own femininity mm-hmm. um and you know your potential as a as a mother you know maybe in the future and there's so many things there but Yeah. I just remember being really struck by it because I was like, oh shit, (laughs) this is not something I'd want to have to confront right now. And I'm just like sat there, just looking around wildly like, oh cool, what's going on? My eyes are darting (laughs) from person to person. Like you're telling us, you know, as you've always been very open about these things. And, um, and in my head, I'm just like, God, my, my biggest problem is probably just catching the train back to London. (laughs) My, the mega yeah. bus shout out.
1: It was a lot to deal with. And I think that situation obviously happened when I was 21. It took another four years for me to get an official diagnosis just between moving from where I was at, at university there. I was back home for a very short period of time. Then I was in London. And then it wasn't actually, I think, until I moved back home again that I got my final, final diagnosis. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. I kind of I had to deal with that big question at 21. And then medicine was just like, oh, off you pop you know, we're just going to leave you to deal with this. And then I had to almost confront it again in my mid twenties, which again, you know, I look back on that time period and think, God, I was a baby, but you know, I was in a slightly different life stage then, I guess, in terms of, you know, being in a very different relationship, having graduated. And it's still just such a big thing to think about. And, you know, I think it's, uh, it's still something that I have to think about. And I think I'm quite sage and quite pragmatic about it. But, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm in the fortunate position that I haven't been told that my endometriosis is bad enough, that it will render me completely unable to have a child. I'm still undecided on those kind of things. And I think the one the one good thing about having gone through that at like yeah in my early 20s and mid-20s is I just kind of think, you know, what will be will be. It is what it is. And, and it, I would probably have hated to hear that five years ago. <laughs> Uh, when I was in that position of finally getting my diagnosis. But I do just think, you know, don't sweat. Don't sweat the stuff that you can't control. And I cannot, unfortunately, control the state of my reproductive system, sadly. I'd love to tell her to get her shit together, but she doesn't want to. (laughs) Well,
0: mine, I'm not bragging, mine works, I think. Oh, good for you. (laughs) But it's my personality that's going to render that (laughs) useless. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Someone has to choose to have a child of me, which is going to be, you know... Uh, Interesting to see. So I looked up while you were talking about endometriosis and the World Health Organization says it affects 10% of women and girls. And that's a huge percentage, really, actually, for something that is you know, really difficult um to get a diagnosis of, firstly. And yeah, just not really well researched or known about as far as I'm aware. No,
1: no, not at all. There's actually there's quite a lot of debate within the medical community about why it even happens, whether it's genetic yeah. which might be of interest yes. to you. Um, yeah, what the actual cause is. You know, traditionally there's been all kinds of horrendous, obviously uh, ways to shame women who have endometriosis you know, is it the result of being overly sexually active is it the result of having a lot of unprotected sex and it absolutely mm-hmm. isn't it's is just something that happens but yeah yeah i have heard when you
0: kind of sleep around you know of you're course. a big fat slut that your cells are like the endometrial tissue is like you know what we
1: i'm gonna spread this bitch. <laughs> that's it that's, that's it i've had enough of this <laughs> right and they're just staging a rebellion down there that's Definitely. what's happening. <laughs>
0: Yeah, um, it's clearly I don't, yeah, another, th- I don't have it. Therefore, I don't get any. I mean, that's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you for sharing that. I think that, you know, whoever's kind of listening to this, especially um people that can really relate to that, probably have very similar stories as well in terms mm-hmm. of discussions with healthcare professionals. And the interesting, the other interesting thing, I suppose for me is when I first kind of um learned a bit more about it, I just kind of always assumed, okay, you know, the tissue will grow places that it's not meant to be. And the, you know, they've done surgery and they've seen it in people's bowel and things like that. And that okay. makes sense in a, in a way, because that's close to your, um your womb. But then it's, you know, things like where I've heard that they found an endometrial tissue in literally like lung or brain.
1: Yeah, like thankfully as far insane. as, as far as I know, that's quite rare. But yeah, that shit will grow wherever it wants. Mm. Do not try and tell endometrial, endometrial mm. tissue what to do because she's not going to listen. She's just She's like, her own boss. She is, she is. As we said earlier. A girl boss. <laughs> girl boss. <laughs> Gatekeep. She is absolutely. And she will um, gaslight. And she will <laughs> gaslight. And then, yeah, and the doctors will too. Um, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah no it is it's a really difficult illness and I think the difficulty that I had with it was when I was trying to get my diagnosis it was almost this thing of oh well periods are just supposed, supposed to be painful that's perfectly normal and mm. I was like I don't think it's normal that I'm in you know tears every month or that I'm I'm ending up in A&E having to have intravenous morphine to deal with the pain I consider myself to be well hard I was mortified when I was having to go do that because I was like it's just a period because that's what society had conditioned me to think you know and again to that point you made about femininity, and I think there's so much in our society, especially for women of our age, because we did, we grew up under the shadow of second wave feminism. There's so yeah. much in like, oh, we have ovaries and uteruses, and aren't we so powerful because of that? <laughs> Which I get, you know, I get where that comes yeah. from. We've got, to, we've got to get one up on the men's somehow, but. I, I, you know, I find, I find that kind of language really problematic for a whole host of reasons I won't go into here, but as a cis woman mm-hmm. who was then experiencing, you know, fertility problems, I was like, oh, my, my bits don't work as they should do. Am I, am I, am I not strong? Am I not like, yeah, I've got not one of them, not got one of them good, good youths that's doing what it should do. So that was really difficult for me actually in thinking, oh shit. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not doing what it's supposed to be doing, which is, you know, is absolute bullshit. Like, Yeah like I said, there's a lot of, you know, gender issues in, in terms of that as well. You know, we shouldn't be reducing people to just functioning reproductive systems, but it very much feels like that was, you know, how, how it was positioned to me as just women are expected to suffer basically. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. like I said, periods are meant to be painful. That was the line that I was given when in fact that is absolutely not true.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's generally accepted. And of course, to a certain level, they are going to be painful, but If they're at a point where, like you said, you're being admitted to A&E and, you know, you're literally in tears on on the regular. It's really not something that should be accepted, although sadly it is. But yeah, thank you for sharing that. So the other thing I found interesting is obviously going into this podcast thinking, I always sort of started with loves and then Mm -hmm. I talk about losses and lessons. But having recorded a few now, it's like losses almost come first and teach you about, you know in a way and I think maybe help you appreciate things that you love or parts that you love about yourself more once you've experienced those difficult times which of course makes perfect sense and I don't know why I didn't kind of predict that but if we're thinking about your loves I really like one of yours um, because as I said before I'm (laughs) self-obsessed and one of your loves is kind of about yourself so loving yourself and all that good stuff can you tell me a little bit about that in terms of you mentioned putting yourself first and kind of accepting love yeah
1: i think you know i prior to all of this fun stuff that had gone on in my 20s i'd had a, a pretty shit time of it in my teenage years as well i had quite a lot of issues with my self-esteem that were hangovers from bullying. And I I definitely did not have a lot of self-love at all. Mm. Having a little light bulb, a little therapeutic breakthrough here, you know, made my joke about having shitty partners. Probably why, wasn't it, Alicia? <laughs> um, I'm sure many paid therapists have tried to tell me that. But yeah, I was not a person who had a lot of self-love, very high self-esteem. And actually going through a lot of this made me realize, you know, that I was quite a strong and resilient person. Um, you know, and I think our society puts a bit too much weight on resilience. I could have gone through all of this and had an absolute breakdown, and still been very worthy of that self love. Yeah. But yeah, just learning, I guess, to to be proud of myself for surviving what I'd gone through, and also, like I said, just having a bit of a bit of self love, and and learning to accept love as well, because something else that i had done as a result of kind of like i said having a bit of a shitty time as a teenager some shitty relationships was i was very bad at letting love in you know i think i i think a lot of like our friends now would probably say like when they yeah you know story references that i was that scary bitch who like my entire personality was like being tough and being hard and like i don't you know i don't have time for anything and like yeah. oh i'm so like edgy and emo and I look back on that version of me now and like, she was quite funny, but I want to give her a hug. I'm yeah. like, yeah, you're probably going to have to get to a point in your life where you're not quite this cynical. Mm. Uh, cause it's just unsustainable to, you know, be giving off giant fuck you vibes to the world all the time. So I definitely learned to, yeah, let, let a little bit of love in, I guess, and have a little bit of love for myself, you know, realizing that as, as a, I was going to say the great RuPaul, but I'm not sure if I think that anymore. As RuPaul would say, you know, how the hell are you going to love anybody else if you can't love yourself? So sage, sage words of advice. For that. More uh, sage wisdom for me. That's all it is. It's just drag race. It's just drag race wisdom. Yeah. yeah. Where RuPaul does genuinely just harass everybody. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like drag race wisdom, but with, without the harassment. Yeah. And, yeah.
0: I mean, I'd I transphobia. Love it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. There is that as well. I mean, I'm somewhat scared now because obviously this podcast can listened to by everyone. And so it will be on RuPaul's radar. Like, <laughs> oh my God. RuPaul's going to cancel us. Can you imagine being cancelled by RuPaul? That'd by, be great.
1: By the fracking king himself. The fracking king? audacity. Stop it. Imagine. I'm sorry.
0: Has he been to Lancashire?
1: He's <laughs> <laughs> fracking it right now. A little, <laughs> I was gonna name some sort of tool that's involved in fracking, but do I know what happens <laughs> in fracking? Was, any, Frack a big drill. He's there. He's got a big <laughs> drill. Exactly that.
0: Um, well, yeah. I mean, we'll see what happens. <laughs> Can you imagine the publicity? UK Hun.
1: But it's just me. <laughs> that oh, that'd be like the Daily Mirror headline, wouldn't it? <laughs> like UK Hun, <laughs> Manchester-based woman cancelled by RuPaul. Oh.
0: Oh, um, so I think what you said again really resonates with me because all, I was quite similar in that sense of like, I don't think maybe I had as much of the intimidation because I don't have as much of the wit, (laughs) um, but was just like, you know, me and Louise who will probably feature on this throughout because she's just, you know, I'm obsessed with her. Um, we're just like clowns, aren't we? So our whole shtick, which to be honest, is still, (laughs) it's still the same, (laughs) I'm not gonna even deny that it's like everything's funny um you know just kind of cover up things with humor and yeah manage it in that way and I think to an extent that's great and I think humor is a great way of yeah of, absolutely um, managing
1: yeah I think it's still a really valuable coping mechanism mm-hmm. and I would say yeah our friendship groups probably made up with made up by 90% people who, who take that
0: approach yeah um, but then it is important, um, especially as you do get older into your later 20s and your 30s, that's, you know, masking something and it's not going to serve you that well when you're, you know, you can't really be 50 years old and still just kind of smashing Throwing a peace <laughs> sign and pouting in the mirror. Yeah, smashing out the tweets. Um, it is what it is. Yeah. We move. <laughs> we move. It'd be like that. <laughs> and then just wearing my like t-shirt that's obviously got shrek on it your child Um, comes
1: to you with a horrendous problem they're experiencing something and you're like it do be like that sometimes and i'm just like sucks to suck doesn't it (laughs) (laughs) please move on
0: i've got time for your silly little dramas shrek the 30th (laughs) is out this year (laughs) get it together um and i need to go to shrek fest and interview everyone that's their podcast number that's my second podcast no, I think it's really important what you said about accepting love as well and care.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And when you have that kind of coping mechanism of basically just being like, "No one's gonna fuck with me," um, because I'll snatch them up in literally not point not one seconds. Like, I am scared still. <laughs> Good. <laughs> That's why I mean so nice Good. to you. <laughs> Um, but obviously as well I did say at the beginning that you are kind in the sense that I think you've got this warmth to you where you actually follow through on things and if you really care about somebody and you want to help them then it's action it's not just kind of words so Mm. you know there are there are different facets of you that I think obviously um, are quite warm but I do like the bad bitch exterior
1: yeah she's good I, mean, I think that's the thing is that it's probably more of an exterior now that i do let a lot more people kind of get mm. behind whereas before it was like right through to the, the very to the core the core was just yeah like when people they're like oh i'm like an onion i have layers all of mine were just shit of like leave me alone okay? yeah i don't want i don't want friends i don't want love or like isn't everything funny and not really taking things seriously whereas now i feel like i have hopefully a better balance well you have because you've agreed to come on here and talk to me me about it talking about things i know (laughs) oh my god 18 year old me would never
0: i mean 18 year old me wouldn't be sat in this (laughs) one here talking about any of this because she'd
1: just be like cackling away but like even 20 25 26 year old me which is not that long ago probably wouldn't like these are all quite recent things i have
0: yeah because I think, like, yeah, like you just said, sort of the transition even between 27 to like 29 is crazy. Who is she? 27
1: year old me. Honestly, 27 year old me
0: was pre-pandemic. Exactly pre-pandemic. Yeah, she, she was naive. I was.
1: She doesn't know what's about to hit her. Doesn't know what's
0: about to hit her. And good for her. She looks happy and healthy. <laughs> not me. Do <laughs> <laughs> you know what? God, I wish. <laughs> could do that please don't sue me olivia love you, love you. um because you'll also definitely listen to this podcast you know i think she will run by some random mad yorkshire woman so i like that and i think you mentioning friends and accepting love and care from friends as well as romantic partners is important um and i don't know if you um want to be this nice to him but you are in a relationship at the minute she is and it is thriving
1: it's good it's healthy yeah, it's weird i don't really it's funny like just it's just it's just nice isn't it like i think that's that's something that i have reflected on as well as like relationships shouldn't be hard work i'm gonna i'm gonna make a really shit analogy now because i don't know if you've heard she has an english literature degree and she smashed i love it. analogies <laughs> you know the whole like periods are supposed to be painful thing people who are like relationships are supposed to be hard no they're not Mm. some of my nicest my nicest relationship ever is the one that i am in now with just a pure hearted little golden retriever of a man (laughs) and it's easy like of course we have conflicts and we you know we have had arguments but we just we just resolve them and we just talk about them like adults and i'm not constantly thinking like what's he doing does he hate me like you know Yes. <laughs> yes, 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 <laughs> it told he does. me to say that. <laughs> Probably does, to be fair, but it would be very mm. nice about it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think that as well is true of friendships. Like, I think it's really easy when you get into your 20s, you know, friendships become a bit weird and a bit difficult and people kind of disperse and go to various different places. But friendships should just be easy. Like, we cannot talk for months and then here I am whoring out all of my trauma on your fucking podcast. Thank like, you very much. You're welcome. Yeah. But I think also, as you know... It's a healthy dynamic. It's a very healthy dynamic. And I think it is telling of what a sensible, like, growing up friendship we have. Mm. That's nice. Go. A bit of hype for you as well. Thank you. <laughs> you can, uh, give me that tenner later. I will. £1.50. <laughs>
0: um, sponsorship. Yeah. I think that your loves there, you've kind of been really clear about them and they make a lot of sense. And again, like, you know, a lot of the things and the themes that come up from this podcast aren't necessarily, I'm not insulting you, but aren't necessarily groundbreaking in the sense that they're so novel because that's human nature, isn't it? We all do experience these similar things to an extent, but in different ways and we manage them differently. So when we're thinking about the lessons then, I guess that we've learned from the experiences that you've had, that ties quite nicely to your lesson, which I kind of phrased as finding strength in being vulnerable Mm -hmm. because um, it is very hard when you have that wall up and that transition, I think comes slowly and it takes actual effort from yourself as well. It's not something that just happens to you. You don't suddenly become more emotionally mature or aware. So what for you, do you think, was there a turning point or was it more that very slow progression?
1: I think for me, yeah, it probably was the strength and vulnerability thing was definitely quite a slow thing for me. And I kind of, you know, tried to get a little bit more vulnerable here and there and try to be more open with, say, my friends or people I was in romantic relationships with, with my family. But I think, I think that kind of thing comes over time. And, you know, sometimes I do still default to. Don't want to tell anyone how I'm feeling, you know. And I go into that little dark, hard mode because that is my default. It was what I did for so long. It is a constant journey of going. Actually, do you know what? Being vulnerable is really—it's a really strong place to be in. Actually, showing who you are, showing yes, I've been through things. And and as I was saying earlier, I think you know, showing resilience is great. But I think we put way too much weight on resilience. I think it's perfectly acceptable to go through. Do you know what? I lost three family members, then my mum got cancer, and then I got told that I'm probably infertile. That was really shit. And Mm. I I might still cry about that now. And I might still think that it's shit, you know. And to me that is resilience to admit to being soft and to being Mm. affected by it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um and again, like another reason I started this podcast was because I um I'm also what I think people would say is a very resilient person. I've clearly not experienced some, you know, some of the things that you have which are extremely devastating in terms of losing people you love, you know, that finality, um, of, of, of that. But I think definitely somebody, it's like, I just keep going, you know, I've, I'll accomplish things. I won't kind of take, I don't stop. I don't have that time. And actually the first time I experienced that ever was, um, around this time, well, January last year, Basically, everyone, she lost her shit. Um, <laughs> Spoiler alert. And finally had to take a break and take stock of what had happened to me in a very short space of time. Again, I go into um, a lot more depth and give a lot more context around this in my own episode, but I experienced um, a real loss of self, you know? And mm-hmm. it might not sound like much, but I'd always been somebody that kind of really felt very grounded in myself mm. and my values and what I guess I'd say is my morals and how I treat others and and things like that and expect to be treated. And at that point, you know, part of the reason and a big thing for me especially was that relationship breaking down was around Mm. issues around race and racism in my ex-partner's family. And so that really just Rocked my world, not in a good way. I couldn't think of another phrase to say that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And from there it was a spiral and and also suffering kind of some other... Losses too, all came at once. And I think although it was nice to hear from others that, wow, I'd, I'm just bragging now, but I'd kind of not taken any time to just stop and think, okay, all these shit things have happened and for anybody it would knock them and I'm allowed to take space. I just kind of kept going. Mm. Um, And actually it was the earth and the universe that was like, no, you're not going to do that anymore. Yeah, And I did definitely feel like I was less because... I was taking the time out of life, essentially. Well, I was forced to. Um, and it's just so important to know that, yeah, whether it completely knocks you on your ass, rock bottom, everyone's got to hit it. We've been there. We've all been there. Or if you haven't yet, fuck you. But, uh- <laughs> that should be the
1: new name of the the podcast, like Postcards from Rock Bottom. Yeah. That's probably a pop punk song. <laughs> what has happened there is just a core memory has unlocked yeah, itself. It's unlocked. It's Carry shining. <laughs> um, yeah. Postcards from
0: rock bottom. Oh my God. That's a follow-up Mar- song. You it has Maria to be.
1: Postcards from rock bottom, brackets, we've been there. Close we've brackets. Been there.
0: Um, instead, it's just me being petty and dragging the next. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, I think it's, again, it's just really useful for you to have shared that. And um, the fact that you have taken time to look after yourself and accept that care is really important. And everybody should do that and think about that at some point in their lives. And then I suppose your last lesson or last part of mm-hmm. the podcast for you, or episode for you was to do about, was to do about, was What's about, about? <laughs> was about trusting your guts more. Yeah, And that's another one for me, I think, especially being women is um, important. And the reason I kind of, I guess, put, you know, talk about gender with that is because again, anecdotally, you can see it in society you're just not really supported as much to just trust your instincts, mm. um, and that's completely valid and you're allowed to do that and that's yeah. a reason in itself so I think you were gonna sort of talk to us a little bit about kind of rash you know being rational the brain and then sort of your intuition
1: and gut yeah so I think as I, as I touched on before, you know, we're here to talk about my twenties and um, I actually had a horrendous time in my teenage years and you know, some of the stuff I went through in my twenties, I was quite well prepared for cause I was just truly unhinged in my teenage years. That's when I hit my rock bottom, you know, I won't talk about some of the stuff cause it will be very triggering, but it, it was a straight up bad time Yeah. And then you know my twenties weren't great either. So if the universe could uh, get it together, send me some good years. That bitch. We've been talking about right, her today. she, she needs do something. To sort of shit. But no, uh, I think as a side effect of um, I a mean, bit, I had had a lot of mental health problems in my teenage years. And something I talk about now is people who become mentally ill as adults are an absolute concept to me. I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> you can separate your mental illness from your personality? Yeah. What is that like? It's yeah, bizarre. But um. I, so I had spent a very long time being a very, because of that, you know, as I talked about before, not wanting to come across as particularly emotional, I became very rational with my emotions and how I process things. And I think I said before, you know, pros and cons lists and every decision had to be made based on kind of weighing up the evidence. Like I would choose like, you know, whether I was going to break up with someone, like I was doing a psych PhD experiment. It was bizarre. Just because I just didn't know how to listen to me and how to listen to what I felt, um, and then when I was travelling, I you know I didn't I didn't go travelling with kind of the aim of having an epiphany. I went travelling because I was quite literally running away from my problems. Yeah, will of Hood. had a lovely time. I had a great time. Absolutely loved travelling. Met some amazing people. But I did I did actually end up having an epiphany and for ages afterwards, I didn't really like talking about this because I was like, oh my God, I just sound like such a, a wanky, like, privileged middle class white girl that I like went traveling and I had this big revelation. But, you know, if you're not going to learn a valuable lesson on Khao San Road in Bangkok, where else are you going to learn a valuable <laughs> lesson? So I was trying to make my plans for the day. I'm walking down this street. And I, I think I was, I was either trying to decide between, it was something so stupid of like, do I go to this temple or do I go to that temple? And what do I want to do? And like the guidebook I'd I I'd decided I wanted to go to this one place because the guidebook had said that it was really yeah. good. But then one of the girls i would met that I was friends with out there had kind of said all that she'd been and it wasn't very good. And I was just getting in, in like such a stress about where where I was going and what I was doing. And then it just, I started spiraling into stressing about other stuff then. Like the way a, a temple just set me off and I just started walking and I walked and I walked and I walked and I ended up at a temple and it was the temple that I'd been like, oh, that's the one I really want to go to, but I yeah. should go to this other one because I don't have time to do both. And that's the best one I got into the guidebook. And literally my body just took me there. It was just like, here you are, you're going to this one because this is the one that you wanted to go to and does it matter that you can't go home and have like the stereotypical picture of Bangkok at this particular temple that you wanted so I think that was really interesting. That is an anecdote, I guess, which sums up a wider experience that I had whilst I was traveling where I just, I remember really distinctly having a great time at this temple, coming out and being like, godless, you need to stop being so rational and like stop listening to your head so much. And then some some rebellious like synapse somewhere in my head was like, yeah, cause we're a mess. Hmm. And I was like, oh, wait. Yeah, like I'm a, you know, a, a person who suffered with mental illness for quite a long time. My brain is... Doesn't really work how it's supposed to. It works in slightly different ways. Why? Why have, why have I been listening to it? Why? You know, my brain behaves irrationally. You know, yeah. I'm not afraid to say it. I do have generalized anxiety disorder. I've suffered with depression. My brain will wake me up on just like a Tuesday morning and be like, "Everyone you love is going to die." Why? Why would I listen to that? My gut, <laughs> actually, make some pretty solid decisions. Yeah. Like, make some really good decisions. And I use the anecdote very lightly as an example of. Where I really learned to trust my gut, but it was just this absolute breakthrough moment that I had, where I was like, "Yeah, hon, you know, your your brain sometimes needs the aid aid of sexually citalopram to function, and there's no shame in that whatsoever. But maybe you should give give her a bit of a rest, yeah, let her have a day off, and just go with your gut instinct, do what feels right." And I think that for me now is just how I live my life. Like, you know, if I think about relationships and like what feels right, if I have to think about job decisions. Um, I was actually in a position recently where I was offered, um, I was approached by a recruiter for a job, another place. And I was just like, mm, you know, maybe I could, it's a really, it's a really good opportunity da, da, da. And just something in the back of my head mm. was going, don't do it, girl, yeah. don't do it. <laughs> you know, my gut was just like, no, nah, it's not for you. And I, I withdrew from, you know, I didn't go through the interview process. Um, and actually have no regrets about that. Like I'm, I'm loving life at work at the minute. So you know, it's just a couple of examples like that. There's loads yeah. of them, but I just learned to, yeah, listen to my gut and trust myself a little bit more, I guess, rather than t- totally over-rationalising everything.
0: Yeah, and I think with, with your gut kind of instinct and feelings, that it, it, it is those kind of um, micro-decisions and, you know, yeah. it's not always the kind of big, you know... It doesn't have to be. Because with the bigger decisions as well, there is a certain level of, I think you are going to be rational anyway because that's yeah. what you're like as a person. So it's only going to bring you to a certain point and then for that final decision you're at, you're kind of, you've got to have a bit more of feeling and and a bit more of a depth to it than just, this is good because of this and this is bad because of that. But it's interesting you talking about these sort of smaller examples because it Mm -hmm. is often those moments like this podcast, literally, I came up with the concept within two days. I think I had a name and I just really just kept, just went with my gut. And obviously there were parts of me that were like, do I even want to share any of this um, but I felt that it was really valid and something that does deserve to be out there and I think if anybody else has experienced anything similar to your story or to you know my other guest Priya that I've recorded so far or even myself it's really nice to just know right I'm not crazy (laughs) this has happened to other people it is shit and you know on the other side it, it is better but yeah, no, I think the, the thing about trusting your your gut's really important. And, yeah. and we hear about it in the context of safety for women, you of know, and, yep. and with people. And in a way it's kind of like, yeah, and again, your gut can only take you so far in that context, because if someone's going to harm you, they're going to harm you. They have mm-hmm. the power to do that. But there are circumstances where, yeah, your gut feeling and your instinct has potentially protected you. Um, either from a person or a situation um, yeah
1: i mean it's there for a reason you know we were talking about this earlier and i was saying you know that gut instinct was the instinct that would have protected us if we were doing hand-to-hand combat with a saber-toothed tiger so like do i trust it to allow me to make the decision of like i've double booked myself which event do i actually want to go to or what do i have know, showing off oh no i'm the right, worst for that i have just exposed myself everyone <laughs> knows that i do it i just say yes to everything i'm yeah. like yeah that and then i'm like oh wait actually yeah you do the 30th of april is just one day sorry yeah. <laughs> all
0: right everybody she fucks and she gets <laughs> invited to places <laughs> show off <Not> to brag. <laughs> um but yeah no i i get where you're coming from yeah so thank you for sharing all that with me you are very welcome you are in your new
1: era you're in your what should we call it therapeutic era in my therapeutic era I am I'm, I'm excited for me in three years when I have my breakdown era I'm joking no I feel like this is this is the new era and it's here to stay yeah well if you do and this podcast is still running I'll be back available <laughs> I'll be back to just rip me I'll be like that bitch she had so many all oh, the platitudes the sage advice she's a dickhead I know <laughs> the sage
0: meter ding ding <laughs> and to anybody that's listening if you want to come on the podcast you can email me on the details that are in the bio and i'm aware again that we've discussed things that are quite difficult so if you do need support please talk to your family and friends and i have been kind of just saying the samaritans as well as an organization because i used to volunteer for them and they are great and i feel like they are really trusted so please do access them if you need to and for now goodbye (laughs)